Section four of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter four The Marble Psyche. Mark Brace was the tenant of the Duke of Downsbury, as his fathers before him had for many generations been the tenants of the Duke's ancestors yet no two lines of life seemed to run farther apart than those of the duke and the farmer the duke respected and appreciated his tenant and the tenant sturdily held loyal faith in his duke as the noblest duke in england yet when downsbury castle was shut up and all the family were abroad seeking year by year health for the patrician daughter that absence of the noble patron made no change in the current of life at the farm patty and mark when the duke came to their minds hoped he would find for his only child the health he sought. "'How we should feel if our Maddy was delicate,' said Patty. "'What a pity it is,' said Mark, "'that the Duke has no son. He has hoped and hoped, but now he know he will be the last Duke of Downsbury.' "'But Lady Estelle will get strong, perhaps, and marry, and he will have great comfort in his grandchildren,' said Patty. Meanwhile, at Brackenside Farm, little Doris grew every day in beauty and brightness.' never was such a winsome wee thing patty felt sure the saucy blue eyes would count many victims when doris bloomed into girlhood's beauty patty was tender of her charge as of some strange tropic bird that had fluttered into her homely nest mattie with her frank simplicity adored waited on yielded to her little sister honest mark fell a complete slave to the fascinations of her beauty he could not give a severe look, nor a reproving word. The twining of those dimpled arms round his neck brought instant submission to any whim of Miss Doris. "'Mark, Mark, you are like all the men. You think the world and all of a pretty face,' said Patty, laughing. "'She's just a wonder, and I can't cross her,' said Mark. "'Not but I like Maddy best. You can rely on Maddy somehow. She's worth twenty of this pretty Doris. But I can say no to her.' I can try and train her up to be a good woman, but this little golden and pearly thing is just like a butterfly or a hummingbird to me. That's a fact. And then, Paddy, we have had luck ever since she came. Her hands brought us blessings. Was it any wonder that it came about that when one child was to yield to the other, Matty yielded to Doris? Matty was older and stronger, and, truth to say, yielded more readily. If Paddy called on a child to help her pick up toys or a spool or run to call Mark— was it not natural that Maddy, true industrious child of the house, was the one called on, rather than the child who paid a hundred pounds a year? Was it strange that, thinking of that lady mother who might any day come to claim her own, Patty protected the snowy beauty of her nurse-child with nankeen mittens and sleeves and wide-brimmed hat? Did it seem less than honest, when one considered that yearly hundred pounds and the gentle birth, to give the child finer shoes and daintier garments than little Maddy had? Thus it came about that pride and vanity and indolence and imperious self-will were nursed insensibly in this child, whose soul Patty greatly desired to keep white and pure. Mark Brace, too, felt the duties of that yearly payment pressed upon him. When Doris was three years and a half old, he said to his wife, "'We must make her manly, lest her mother should not be satisfied. When she gets big she must learn music and languages. Now she must learn to sew and read.' We will let our Maddie learn what she does. She is our only child. We can afford it. And you mean me to teach them? 
asked Patty. Oh, no, wife, you're too busy. We will send them every day to Breakbury to the Mrs. Hopwell. The Mrs. Hopwell were very genteel ladies, a surgeon's daughters fallen into narrow circumstances, and keeping a little school, very genteel indeed, where they taught the making of samplers, the tables, reading, writing, the globes, etc., in prim, old-fashioned style. To this ladies' school went Matty and Doris every day, in a little wicker cart drawn by a donkey, beside which ran a barefoot farm-boy as their charioteer. And so time went on, and Doris had been four years at the farm, and news now spread abroad that Lady Estelle Hereford was better at last, and the Duke was coming home. Back to England finally, and the castle was filled with guests. "'I believe,' said the Duchess to the Duke, "'that the very best thing for our daughter would be a happy marriage.' She is over twenty-two. If we could rouse her up to take any interest in any one, all she lacks is animation. She is a psyche before the coming of Cupid. I heard a gentleman in Italy calling her the marble psyche, speaking to a friend. I cannot understand it, said the Duke. During her first year in society she seemed animated and interested. I believe I even once spoke sharply to her for dancing twice with Captain Roderick Alnwick. You are quite right, said the Duchess. I spoke to her myself about him. He was entirely ineligible in every particular. But that all passed by. I thought she liked him a little, and I was glad when he exchanged his regiment and went off to India, a ne'er-to-well family, if an old one. We must bring together the best parties, said the Duke. And she may fancy some one. I long to see her settled and have grandchildren about me. The guests came, and among them, calm, gracious, lovely, went Lady Estelle, untouched by adoration, a goddess moving in the nimbus of her own impregnable repose. There was a dinner-party given for the Bishop of Lansdowne, and, as usual, the Bishop was full of stories, and told them well. "'I remember,' said Lady Estelle, "'before we went abroad you told me some story that interested me, something about a child.' "'No doubt, about the child left at Mark Brace's door.' "'Perhaps that might be it. I suppose it has been claimed.' "'Not at all. Mark has it yet, and shows himself a most honest man in his care of it.' "'Ah, in what way?' "'He not only adores the child, but he rears it delicately, and he means to educate her.' "'Yes, and can one be educated at Brakebury?' said the soft, caressing, languid, scarcely interested voice. "'The child is young yet. She goes in a little donkey carriage to a really nice little school kept by two ladies in reduced circumstances.' When she gets too old for that school, Mark means to find a better one for her. Quite thoughtful of him. And the child is pretty. More pretty than I can tell you. I am sure she is nobly born. I saw her after service the day I held confirmation. And her parents had never been found? asked the Duchess. No, and surely never will be. Great care has been taken to secure secrecy, and Mark feels bound to maintain it. I do not know, but it may be quite as well, said her Grace and then dinner was announced. End of chapter 4